This is Pastor Ken Jones of Glendale Missionary Baptist Church, and I am joined by Jose Prado, the pastor of Christ City Church, Pastor Aldo Leon, the pastor of Reconcile Church, and Pastor David Menendez of Tamiami Baptist Church. Last week, we began um, discussing the content of the eighth chapter of Hebrews as some who follow the liturgical calendar have identified as Lenten season leading to the season of the Passion of Christ and then culminating in his crucifixion uh, and then his victorious resurrection. Our, our point has been that this points out a particular aspect of the work of Christ for our salvation. Specifically, even though it's, it's dangerous and difficult to isolate one part of his work, but especially his functioning as our high priest, uh, who is offering an acceptable sacrifice to God on our behalf. That being the case, what we've tried to do is make the point that the ceremonial laws and the regulations of the ceremonial laws, including the sanctuary, the sacrifice, and the priests, are all types and shadows of the priestly ministry of Christ. So we left off last week by looking at, by making the point from the first seven verses that there is something very intentional and very profound here where the writer of Hebrews says that everything that was in the sanctuary, including the altar and the, the animals of sacrifice, were designed by Moses under the instruction of God as copies of those things in heaven, which boy, that's just, that's rich, and there's a whole lot you can uh, unpack from there. But what I want to begin today in talking about is specifically in verse 1. Let me just read verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 8. It says, now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Now, that being the case, I'm going to ask, and it's sort of a three-layered question. Why does the writer in verse 1 stress that Christ is first our high priest, stress the fact that Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and then he also stresses the fact that Christ, even in his present position, is a minister for us. So let's look at those one at a, at a time. Why does the writer stress the fact that Christ is our high priest? I mean, I think con contextually it's, it's that uh, they were debating going back to a system which had some other, other representation um, and they're saying, look, the person who has a position is Christ. He is the priest. There is no more priest. Actually, all the priests were just preparing for him. So he's the guy. Um, so he has the position of priest. Um, he has the place, the necessary place of a priest. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't function on the ground doing things on the earth. He's now sitting down having finished everything in in the the ultimate place of finality at the right hand of god so he has he has a position 
that we need. We need a priest, the, a, the priest. We need a place. What place? God's ultimate place, God's final place, God's highest place. Um, and he has a function. What does he do? He, he basically just, he is who he is, and he sits where he sits totally to be God's man for us in our need. And so he, he's saying those things to basically, uh, I guess, rule out any other options. Well, we, in, in talking about the priests and that privileged position of being seated at the right hand of God, and I, and I think it's very important to never lose sight of the fact that he is our representative, because where the priest is, so are those that he represents. So let's now reason back from certain portions of the Old Testament, uh, particularly in the, uh, the Mosaic law, concerning the rituals for the priests. What, what are those things that are demonstrated in the regulations for the priests that we now have a better understanding of in the person of Christ? Going back even to chapter 5, it says that every high priest is taken from among men. Okay. So Christ became incarnate. So he was men, just like one of us, to be the fitting representative for men. Mm -hmm. That's just one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What about the purification laws yeah. for the priests? What, what about those laws? Because before they could even go in and <coughs> offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, yeah. they had to offer sacrifices for themselves. They had to purify themselves, their garments, uh, the, the instruments of, of ministry. All of those things had to be pure. So what does that communicate in those rituals? about God uh, for those who stand in his presence? Well, obviously it communicates his, uh, you know, his perfect, uh, just uh, holiness and, uh, and, the, and the necessity uh, for, uh, for us to have someone that could stand um, in our place uh, before the holiness of God. Yeah. So, so passages like, be ye holy, mm -hmm. yeah. even as I am holy, are really demonstrated in those uh, purification rituals on behalf of the priests. Now, in their case, obviously, they are made ceremonially clean, but it doesn't mean they are themselves absolutely pure. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's one of the things that I love about this first verse here in chapter 8 is just the, 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 the emphasis that the writer puts on we have such yes. a high priest. You know, it's not like, you know, we have a high priest. Like, okay, they, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're used to having high priests. They, they have other priests mm -hmm. that they've had in the past. But we have such, I mean, this kind. He's a priest like no other, yeah. you know. And I think, it, and, and asking that question, Ken, I don't, I don't know if you were, like, trying to, like, load up something specific, but I don't know. No, I'm I mean, just... let me let me guess because, no, because I think something that's really missing from our understanding of Christ and His work is the fact that He had to have a, a vicarious obedience and righteousness for us. We understand that Jesus died for our sins to save us, but there's this entire realm that we don't just have a concept of. And the fact that in 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 the Old Testament, He had to have a He had to make provisions for His moral character in order to be a sacrifice. It. it it implicitly, but I think explicitly says that, that our, our priests needed to vicariously live a life of obedience in order to be our sacrifice. He didn't just have to die and restore us to innocence. 
he had That's to exactly be exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So he, he and, and so we see that in in the act of the priest needing to make offerings for his for his righteous standing. So um, therefore, the the priest, the the uh, purification rituals for the priests are typological of the actual perfection for Christ. Yeah. yeah. Because as you pointed out, Aldo, and I think it's a I, we've made it before, but I think it's I don't think we can make it enough that many people, even conservative, Bible-loving Christians, they get half the gospel. Now, right. maybe they, they get it, you know, if you talk them, talk them through it, they will get it, but here's the part they always get. They get, he died for our sins. They don't fully grasp or include in their discussions that he lived for our righteousness. Yeah, mm. that's right. And, and, and even there's something, I think, even that comes to my mind, it's a legal righteousness obtained by performance. It's not yes. an ontological righteousness. I think sometimes people think of the righteousness of Christ as, you know, his moral character somehow is infused to me in regeneration. Mm. But the fact that the, the priest had to make legal offerings to meet a legal standard in order to be righteous shows that the righteousness that we have in Christ is of him meeting a legal standard that we get credit for, not having some sort of righteous character that he kind of just pours into us in regeneration that 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 makes all the difference because it's a difference between me getting a verdict of righteousness mm -hmm. from somebody else's performance or having a state of righteousness from someone else's kind of uh i don't know from participation of of him and me together yeah um and then god saying all right you're okay you that's why it gets highlighted here in chapter five though he was a son yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Yeah. And that righteousness, that legal righteousness that he has performed is everything that God requires in the mm -hmm. moral law. That's right. Yeah. And he also satisfies the penalty right. of, yes. having, of our having broken that law, which is why his representative office as priest is emphasized here because essentially what is true for the priest is true for those that he represents mm -hmm. and again going back to the mosaic law even if you look at the attire of the priest one of the things that he wore was something over his breast that had the names of all the 12 tribes mm -hmm. so in essence when god received his sacrifice he was receiving the sacrifice of everyone that he represented. That's yeah, right. yeah, that's right. That's, that's a, that's, that's a and, good point. And what I love about, once again, the text is, is just the sufficiency uh, of that sacrifice. You know, it's, it's uh, you know, he sat down. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, he's not like all other priests who uh, continue to offer sacrifices on a continual basis, but Jesus Christ offered one sacrifice uh, that was completely sufficient, you know, for him to sit down. And one of the themes that continues or that, that reoccurs throughout the book of Hebrews is the fact that he has passed through the veil. Mm -hmm. And as indicated here in chapter eight, he is seated in the most high place. He That's is right. seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Well, if he's seated there, then that means we're there. That's right. <laughs> because he's our representative. Yeah. And, and doesn't the writer point that out to us, that we've passed mm -hmm. beyond the veil? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, the representational aspect that, that was brought out is, is very significant because Jesus dies. I mean, in the, in the priesthood, there was a guy who went in to God's presence to offer the sacrifice. Obviously, Christ is the sacrifice. He comes there to function as a covenant representative. Mm-hmm. And that's how the people had a relationship with God. Exactly. And, man, like that that element of Christianity is so important and so lost because we see the death of Jesus um, almost like as an opportunity for me to imitate that or, or I don't know, like somehow respond to that, somehow make some really emotional kind of life-altering commitment to that. But, but what we see in the Old Testament is that Jesus' death is a representational death that you cannot do. He does it. And what's, what's worst about it is when they use that kind of response that, that they say that we have to make and condition our acceptance or final acceptance before God on the basis of that response. You know, so it's not just that they're saying, okay, well, Jesus died, and then here's how you ought to live. But now they are saying, and that obedience and that living on the basis of the fact that Jesus died, it's part of the condition. Yeah, to it, be accepted it, in the sanctuary of heaven. They they turn it into another work. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm doing then the work of Christ in that yeah. little, you well, know. And that's turn of why uh, your point, Aldo. That's why we can't minimize the representative nature of what he's doing. And I think this is one of the things that the writer of Hebrews is doing. In fact, in chapter four, he says that we can go boldly to the throne of grace, which is the place where Christ is mm-hmm. seated. Why? Because in chapter 8, he's there as our minister. Hmm, So we can go in our time of need, and what will we find? Mercy and Hmm. grace. Why? Because our priest is there. And we have a right, even, when do you need mercy and grace? When you're you're covered in dirt. Mm -hmm. But because you're represented by the high priest, a place that you would otherwise not be qualified to be in, you are there. In Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, and notice this, that is his flesh. Hmm. So the, 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 the curtains, the furniture of the Old Testament uh, <coughs> sanctuary were copies of heaven. But the tent itself was an indicator of the coming Christ in his incarnation, mm-hmm. who would be the embodiment mm-hmm. of not only the very presence of God, but all that God has required of us and everything that God has shown us mm-hmm. through these ceremonial laws are embodied in the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. He's not just the sacrifice, he's the curtain. So we're mm-hmm. covered with new flesh, holy flesh yes. before God. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that, so, so again, to go back to um, why do we need to understand what is articulated mm-hmm. in the Mosaic law concerning the ceremonies, once we know that it, it finds its fulfillment in Christ, now we go back and we see it more fully illustrated for us in those actual practices. We don't need to go back to the practice, but what we have is an explanation of why Jesus does what he does in his earthly ministry for us. Yeah, yeah. And that's case closed, because uh, 
chapter 5 says that one of the things that the priest does is it is he is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. Exactly. In what things pertaining to God? All things. Yeah. In all things pertaining to God. You know, everything that has to do with my relationship with God, I have a high priest that takes care of that for me. Mm. Because that's what they do. That's what priests do. And the yeah. high, what they do is they are appointed on behalf of men, on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. Mm. I want to begin this part of our discussion by uh, somebody, if you could read verses 6 and 7. Let's just kind of open that up a little bit. If someone could read uh, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, since, since you began... Uh, Jose and everybody's familiar with your wonderful reading voice. Would you do that for us? Let's do it. All right. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry. And to that degree, he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been legally enacted on better promises. Wow. There's some stuff there. <laughs> okay. First off, uh, there's the language of mediator. I think we've already talked about the importance of a mediator, someone who, and, and the priest is, is really a mediator. He's the one who appeases God's wrath for us and who gains a, 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 the, the, a place of presence or in the presence of God on our behalf. But it says about this mediator that he's given us a better covenant. So how in the context of the Mosaic law how do we have the presence of a better covenant? Stun them into silence. Stun them into <laughs> silence, which is not good for radio. Well, <laughs> Great I, for television. I, yeah, I think that I, when I read Paul um, and, and I see Jesus' prayer in John 17, um, the way like guys before us have framed this is that there was a, a covenant, a pact, between God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit before there was anything which was of redemption. Mm -hmm. So redemption was not an afterthought with creation being a forethought. Redemption was always the forethought. Like God would make his glory known um, in redeeming a people through, from the Father through the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit. And, and that's called the covenant of redemption. redemption. Yeah. Um, and so... With that as God's forethought, you know, he, he, he makes creation um, through a covenant of, of works or, a, you know, a conditionality. You, you needed to believe and receive what God had done and also live in, in a manner according to that, you know, which is why Adam's, like, told that, you know, if you do this, you will live. Um, if you don't do this, you will die. Um, and, 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 and by the way, who's... Who's under, now, because I think for, for purposes of clarity, you mentioned the covenant of redemption, and who are the covenanting parties in that, in that covenant, the covenant the, of redemption? The, all the members of the Godhead. So the, it's an it's a trini inter-trinitarian yeah. it's basically It's basically three persons yes. who are making a, a, a pact amongst themselves outside of you know, existence. And in the covenant of works, who are the covenanting parties? You know, it is it is God, well, the members of the Trinity, and Adam. Okay, and all that are represented by Him. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and so, you know, obviously we know the story. You know, Adam sins. We all sin in Him, 
and then sin from him. Um, and later on, God brings another representation, another manifestation, another administration of the covenant of works in the Mosaic era. But he always had the covenant of redemption and salvation, however you want to say it, from his forefront in eternity. So as soon as Adam falls, he makes a promise about a redemption that will be accomplished through a representative, through a substitute, through a new uh, a new Adam, so to speak, from Eve. Um, that's that's comes into the picture. And the um, term for that would be covenant of grace, usually in covenant yeah. theology. Um, so covenant of grace, which you know comes out of the covenant of redemption, that was always was in God's mind. It merely comes into the stage of redemptive history upon the fall. And so when God reinstitutes or, or re-administrates another, another way of relating to God legally be, because of obedience or through obedience, um, that was always in his mind. And so when God brings the Mosaic era with all these, you know, 600 laws, God always had in mind the fact that there was a grace covenant mm -hmm. that come from a redemptive covenant in eternity that will be the means by which every single person who would come to faith from beginning to end would be saved. It was always hanging over. It was always hanging over a time and, always, and hanging over every era. So, so even though there was this covenant, this temporary covenant, this conditional covenant that came in, God always had hanging over this unconditional grace covenant which he, he gives to Adam. He, gives, he, he then re-represents re it to uh, Abraham, um, to Isaac and Jacob, and so that, and, that's, that's how that kind of functions and that's, together. And all that's covenant of grace. So, now, yeah. Would you say then that the covenant of works is not just a set of precepts, but it's a set of precepts um, and a mode of inheriting. Absolutely, So yes. in other words, it was yes. do this, do this, so that you may live or you die. Yeah. Then we get to the Mosaic Covenant, so, and it's which, the same which, which language. Means, which right. means curses and promises. Correct. So there's always promises. On the basis in, of doing. In, in, in a covenant of works, mm -hmm. there are promises for obedience mm -hmm. and curses for disobedience. disobedience. We have been looking at the eighth chapter of Hebrews and breaking down what the writer says about the elements of worship, the sanctuary, the priesthood, uh, the sacrifices and how those things were but types and shadows, a greater covenant or greater uh, mediator and high priest. It even talks of it as of these things as being copies, copies of a heavenly reality. That's just wonderful stuff. But in any event, we see how the writers also made the point that all of these things are satisfied and fulfilled in the incarnation of Christ. This is how we are to understand uh, the bodily presence of Christ, his physical obedience on our behalf, his offering up his body um, on, for, for our sins, his accomplishing the righteousness of God. His purity is our purity so that his presence before the Father is our presence. And it's what gives us boldness to come before the throne of grace. That's as far as we can go today, but uh, we will continue this discussion and bring out some more particulars from this eighth chapter of the book of Hebrews as we join you next time on Saints and Sinners Unplugged. Thanks for being with us, and we look forward to uh, being with you again next week.